Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. It's a first novel for Missourian Melissa Scholes Young. It's titled Flood. Her hometown of Hannibal is front and center. Its most famous and iconic residents, Mark Twain, Tom Sawyer, and Huckleberry Finn, are always in the background. Melissa joins me in studio. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Don. Thank Can- you for welcoming me home. Yeah, well, well, welcome home indeed. Make that formal. Uh, the paperback is just out. The book's been out for a while. Yeah, the book came out last summer, and the paperback comes out in May. I, I you know, I mentioned to you off the air. We don't want to talk too much about details of the plot, mm-hmm. but can you give us a very brief overview of what the story basically is about? I can. The uh, flood is the story of Laura Brooks, who returns to Hannibal after the great 500-year flood, which I'm sure you all remember here in St. Louis as well. And those of us who lived through it in 1993 remember really the trauma of it. And she has to recalibrate. I learned that the Mississippi River in 1812 ran backwards also. And so I wanted to ask what would happen if if, if a young woman in Hannibal had to do that too. And I grew up with all these statues of Tom and Huck around me, and I wanted to reimagine what that friendship would have been like if it had been female. You know, it's hard to imagine what Hannibal would be like if it weren't for Mark Twain and Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. What do you think it would be? Another sleepy river town? Possibly. I think it's, it is it it is what makes it America's hometown. It is uh, a, a story that's digestible and true and lovely. And that's, I think, part of why we've built the whole industry. It's It's his boyhood home. And Tom Sawyer is a boyhood story, but I grew up wanting to know what the rest of the story was, like where was Huck and where was Jim? Mm -hmm. Uh, Your story is about girlhood, if I may may put it that way. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, Melissa, that uh, in reading the book, I don't think the Hannibal Chamber of Commerce would be necessarily happy with the portrait of certain parts of Hannibal, pretty seedy in some cases. Well, I think every town has parts oh, sure. that uh, that perhaps we have to ask hard questions about. And I think my job as a novelist is to raise those questions. Um, I don't always have the answers to them, mm-hmm. but part of being an outsider is being able to observe in a different way. Um, and I think part of being a tourist in a town is to also understand that there's always more to the story and that perhaps a more critical look at it, just like as in Mark Twain's work, um, a, a, a more accurate portrait that looks at what truth is and asks hard questions that I think we owe our readers uh, our responsibility to ask. What are some of the questions that you thought uh, people wouldn't want to have answered? Would want to have mm-hmm. answered. Uh, so I grew up in a, you know, in Hannibal, we have this amazing Tom and Becky pageant, which is one of the opportunities that really you look forward to when you when you're raised there. In in middle school, um, we have. Um, Tom and Becky, everyone wants to be Tom and Becky. And um, it was it was not something that, that I would have necessarily had access to. And I always wondered why we didn't have a hug in a gym. And I also wondered why none of the contestants um, were of people of color. I wondered where the rest of the story was. You, you do raise that issue in the book, uh, and you, you work a, a racial divide into the, into the narrative, mm. something that existed during your growing up. I wonder if it still does. It's not something I think I, I should have been very aware of it growing up, but I think it really took me <clears throat> growing up and, and me being able to look at it through um, a grown-up eyes uh, Mm. in order to understand. But I think that is such a modern conversation. And so many of the ways that people in Hannibal have courage and are brave enough to tell the rest of the story. Mm. Um, The the 
the, in 2010, a new museum in Hannibal opened up called Jim's Journey, and it is the Huck Finn Freedom Center, and it's really an amazing story of what slavery was like in Hannibal and also what the contributions of African Americans within the community. You're living in the Washington area now and teaching, uh, I should point out, teaching writing, if I remember That's correctly. That's right. I teach at American University. I teach college writing and creative writing. From that vantage point, looking back to your native state, what, what have you been making of what's been going on in recent years with regard to race relations? I'm thinking specifically of Ferguson, which I know you heard right, about in Washington. Absolutely. In fact, when I <clears throat> when the book came out last summer, the very first question, and this is this is a novel, this is fiction, mm-hmm. this is me imagining what it would be like to return to your roots, really, and to the mythology of Mark Twain. But that was really one of the first questions that I got was. What is, um, and this was right after the NAACP issued a travel warning against the state. And I had to ask, how is it that a place that has been so incredibly welcoming to me um, doesn't feel welcoming sometimes to, mm-hmm. uh, to everyone else? And, and what are the questions that we're not asking ourselves? And why is it that marginalized voices don't feel as welcome as I always have in this state? You, in the book, you say one of the contestants in this competition to play Tom and, and Becky uh, was a young black woman. Mm-hmm. And I won't tell people how it turned out, but uh, is, is that happening more often, do you think, that they're having young black contestants for this? That's a great question, and I, I don't know that I'm the one to answer yeah. that, but I think that's a, a question that we have to ask. What I wanted to know is how would um, how would how would the community respond, which would be very welcoming. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it it very much is a contest that's open to everybody. But part of what I wanted to look at was not the people as much as the social structures that are still in place that perhaps um, might exclude um, people that. Uh, that wouldn't have access to this. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's a community that, that is still 90% white and has been for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's one side of the story. But the, the boyhood home is also starting to, um, and, and has for the last couple of years, acknowledge the, the, that the Clemens family owned slaves and that slaves mm-hmm. were a huge part of, um, you know, the founding of Hannibal mm-hmm. and that that's a larger story that we all need to uh, listen to. Tell our audience, if you would, about this competition, the Tom Sawyer days, because that's a big part of the book. It's, it, the narrative, uh, it runs through the narrative. It does, and it is. If you're from Hannibal, this is the time of year that everybody comes home. Mm-hmm. Fourth of July is an enormous celebration of, of, of Tom Sawyer days, and we have fence painting, and we have mud volleyball, and we have carnivals, and we, it is really um, an, a great time to come home. It is when I bring my children home. Everybody wants to come back to Hannibal. And it's a huge part of, of who we are and what we do as a, as a tourism industry. It's the time to go to Hannibal. But every year we have these floods that threaten our Tom mm-hmm. Sawyer days. Right. Um, but you have youngsters competing to play the role of Tom and Becky because it's an important part of, uh, of the festival and also pretty much the summer, as I understand it. It is, and they have to study the history of Mark Twain. They have to be familiar with Hannibal, and they very much represent Hannibal um, in their travels. So it's a a big opportunity. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, the tourists obviously uh, flood in. No, they do, no. they do, and and they uh, the character they are always in character. Uh, they are in the downtown. They answer questions, um, and so they're available to really recreate Mark Twain's story. When I said that the tourists flood in, it was not an intended <laughs> pun, but I, I guess that's the way it worked out. Is is any of this uh, book flood um, autobiographical? 
how I grew up. I mean, I was born yeah. and raised in Hannibal, and that it is a welcoming community, that it is a place, a place that I'm very proud to be mm-hmm. from. It is what I still consider my hometown, even though I left there when I was 17. Um, I always return to my roots, and I'm very aware of the way that being raised in a place with hardworking people that are very, very proud, um, how that has affected where I have gone in the world and, and, and the way I live my life. So I think part of that is in the characters. But I haven't returned home. Laura Brooks's story is not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the only thing that uh, is autobiographical in the book is the high school guidance counselor. Um, Mark Eggleston was my guidance counselor, and he very much was influential in, in encouraging me and seeing that I, that I might have dreams that might take me elsewhere. Well, you make him into a real good guy in the book. We'll, oh, he we'll give is that a good guy. He, absolutely. And he was uh, those type of – those teachers, those guidance counselors can make such a difference. It, it influenced the reason I wanted to become a teacher as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to take a break. We'll do that now. We're talking with uh, Melissa Skoll-Young about uh, her book, Flood. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment, and I think we'll have a reading also from Melissa. We're back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And welcome back as we continue our conversation with Melissa Scholes Young, author of the book Flood. Melissa, one of the things that uh, that I detected in the book, and let me see if this was intentional, was the fact that some of the characters were, were jerks, were people you know you, you don't think too highly of, but virtually every character in the book was willing to do something good and help help out when people were in trouble. They would help. Uh, this kind of made me think that this is what rural America is to a very large degree. You're an astute reader, Don. Uh, uh. I, uh, I, I think it is true in the Midwest and in, in all rural communities that you have to rely on your neighbor. I'm most interested in complicated characters, and mm. I think every single character has something that's redeeming. And I, I'm interested in characters that are doing their absolute best mm. in situations that are sometimes out of their control and sometimes do pretty desperate things. Mm. Um, I, I think they're true characters. I think they are familiar, too. Um, you, you know who these people are when you read them. Mm-hmm. Nobody's all good or all bad, in other not, words. Not in a book that I want to read and certainly yeah. not in life. Yeah. The, uh, the villain in the book, uh, as I see it, is the river because of the flood. The, this, it's, this is a shadow hanging over the town from page one right on through the book because everyone's worried all the time in the summer about floods. Mm-hmm. That's the way you start your book. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read some of that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Nothing could hold back the Mississippi that summer. Our flood stage was 16 feet, and when the river crested at 30, folks panicked with good reason. Jackson's Island, which jutted out of the river as an overgrown sandbar, was completely submerged. The island immortalized by Mark Twain wasn't very big to begin with, though Huckleberry Finn and Jim found it to be plenty. The annual spring rains usually caused minor flooding, but the trees on the island reached up from the river like bushes floating on the muddy surface. Water was what people talked about, worried over, and watched. Upstream and downstream, levees busted by force and by sabotage. Barges were stuck for months, and the trains stopped running. On land, we prayed to crumbling rock and gravel walls for protection, and piled up more layers of sandbag to push back the pressure. 
If a levee broke on one side, there was temporary relief on the other. Some farmers walked their lines with shotguns, threatening anyone who came near their sandbags. The fight was fair at first, until it wasn't. Until it came to sacrificing others to save yourself. Until those with power didn't want to protect those without. And maybe that's why I left. But by then, the Mississippi had taken more than 600 miles and much of our lives in its wake. Ten years ago, even as I was falling for Sammy, on that steamy July night parked at Lover's Leap, one of my feet was firmly planted on the ground. The river is to blame. When you grow up on the banks in Hannibal, Missouri, you need an escape route. You never know when the water is going to rise, and you have to run. Sammy being the boyfriend of Laura Brooks in this in this particular case. Well, and, and Sam Sam Clemens being Mark Twain, who yeah. lived across the street, of course, from um, Becky Thatcher, who was Laura Hawkins. Mm. So Sammy and Laura um, may or may not get back together in the, in this novel. I won't tell we, you. We're, we're not going <laughs> to give that uh, that part of it away. In reading of that uh, those couple of paragraphs, it sure brought back memories of, uh, to me of 1993. Were you in Hannibal in 93? It, I was. That was my senior year in high school. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that was like in Hannibal. It was traumatic, yeah. and I don't know that I realized that until I left and tried to convey to other people who who didn't grow up in a floodplain, what it's like to have a river staring at you all the time. I think you know Mark Twain actually describes it really well. Um, but in his time, the 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 town rolled into the river, and in night uh, the year before the Great Flood of 1993, we actually installed flood walls, very much uh, similar to the ones that are down in Cape Girardeau that mm. in the 60s that saved their downtown. Um, and and in 1993, we had done the same, and that saved our historic district, uh, but water always has to go somewhere. Mm. And so you understand that when you protect your own, that the water has to go to the low-lying areas, often to people who don't have the power to stop the water coming at them. And and that brings in the notion of sabotaging levees, which you alluded to here. A fair amount of that went on because if you sabotage a levee in one place, the water is not going to be as menacing someplace else. That to me is why it's such an amazing metaphor because someone else's loss actually becomes your gain. It actually keeps you safer. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, aspects of your book that I really enjoyed was you have these historical snippets in between chapters. And I'm always happy to learn something. And mm-hmm. I learned a couple of things uh, from those. One is that the unsinkable Molly Brown uh, grew up in Hannibal. I think everyone's familiar with the, the movie or the stage play mm-hmm. of the survivor of the Titanic. But uh, I, di- I didn't know that. What, did you have to research this? Or growing up in Hannibal, are these the kinds of things that everybody knows? So people do know their history in Hannibal, but I had to uh, research it and confirm it in order to be able to write it. The the Mark Twain scholars were very generous and very insistent uh, that I get it right. Um, and the, the each of the chapters opens with these historical snippets that tell you the story of Hannibal, the history, but also catch you up. It's it's a primer, really, for mm-hmm. Mark Twain's literature for so many of his books. And it's a, a book within a book. It's written by the high school English teacher who is training, mm-hmm. wants to train the Tom and Becky contestants and help them get ready uh, in a uh, for the actual pageant itself. Mm. So it is also, I think, useful for a reader. If you haven't read Mark Twain in a while, you'll want to, I think, again. Anybody who's read Mark Twain knows about the caves uh, up in Hannibal, and they are, are are featured in your book as well. But one of those snippets uh, told, the, uh, at least partially told the story of uh, some young boys who went to the caves years ago and were never heard from again and never found. What What can you tell us about that story? It's a true story, and uh, it was the largest uh, 
cave search in U.S. history, and there's actually a new book out that's uh, that's historical about it called The Lost Boys of Hannibal, um, and, and it's a mystery that was never solved, and it, I think, adds to the allure, the mystery of, of what those caves mean and what it means to have this entire system operating underneath your feet, mm-hmm. and then water, of course, at your back. Um, it, it makes you very aware of your environment and what the way that weather uh, can be so unpredictable um, and so very dangerous. I think that's the first thing that whenever I call home, that's the very first thing my parents still ask me is, how's the weather? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to discuss the weather first because it means so much in your daily life. Are there any theories as to why the bodies of these kids, assuming that they, they died in the caves, that they were never found? Uh, the caves are just so vast. They're so mysterious. And uh, in, anything can happen in the caves. But people are in them all the time. I mean, there are tours. We are in only a tiny part of them all the time, Uh right? I mean, there's still so much of the caves that haven't been explored. Mm-hmm. But but the search, as I understand it from the from the book, uh, was conducted on several different occasions throughout the entire system. Mm-hmm. And I think again, it, it's a tragedy, but it, it also leads to the to the mystery of uh, of what's happening underground. It's uh, well, it's just one of those stories that uh, you, you know you, you wonder at the at the mystery mm-hmm. at the mystery of it of it all. Tell us a little bit about um, the 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 character of the mother. And uh, and about Laura. I mean, it strikes me uh, that this is a fairly typical mother-daughter relationships, which are sometimes more interesting than father-son relationships. I don't know. I think that they're pro- they're just as complicated. Um, Mama very much is doing her best, and she very much wants what's best for Laura. But they are operating in different worlds. And I think Mama really thinks that a, a type of softness can be dangerous and that it is her job as a mother to help Laura prepare for the world. And that requires a lot of toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their, their relationship, I think, is often fraught between um, mothers, what Mama's intentions are. Mm-hmm. And, 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 of course, what I, what I know uh, growing up is that we think we know things as children that we don't often know and that those relationships um, are often viewed differently once we grow older. Uh, we think we know our parents, but the truth is um, they're their own people. Mark Twain says that, that the uh, size your, your childhood home can never, ever uh, be the same size, that you have changed so much. And even though the building itself hasn't changed, uh, it is the person within it. Hmm. Uh, Tom Wolfe said you can't go home again. Uh, and there are some similarities between characters in his uh, in his books and, and yours with returning with the idea of returning home. And I, I hope you can go home again, but I I was much more interested in not whether you can or can't, but what happens if you have to. Like your home, they have to take you back. That's just part of the rules. They have to um, welcome you back in. And Laura Brooks is expecting it to be a warm welcome, and then uh, is surprised to find out that it's not. Yeah, she uh, comes home because she's lost her job in, in Florida mm-hmm. and kind of has to go home because she has no place else to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have the people of Hannibal uh, reacted to your book? They have welcomed it. They've been very kind. Um, there were events last summer at the Boyhood Home, um, and there were also events at the Hannibal Arts Council. And I've heard from a lot of readers who very much feel that their voices are being heard and that rural voices 
should be in literature, and they should be complicated in literature, and they should be honest in literature. Um, and that, that you mentioned when we were chatting before the show about the, the, the flyover country, and I didn't know we were even called that until I moved to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine why anyone would want to fly over a place that, that I loved so much. Um, and that is so rich in cultural and history and people, and yet um, I think is so misunderstood and sometimes often portrayed in, in more of a stereotypical way. That mm-hmm. isn't true. P- all people are complicated, and people can, can be as open-minded or as isolated as they want to be. You know, another element you bring into the story is the idea of a high school reunion, a 10th high school reunion. And I can't imagine there are too many people who don't agonize over, should I go or should I not go? That's, yeah. I, I suspect that might have been a kind of a fun part of it for you, thinking back on that. I, I'm always driven by questions, yeah. and I, I wanted to know why is it that those invitations to those high school reunions are so fraught? Why do they bring up so many memories that are wonderful, but also fears of what you thought the future was going to be like? So I, I wondered about that so much. These questions drive me always in my writing, and uh, I wanted very much for Laura Brooks to uh, have to go home and face it um, for her. I, and I, I didn't return for my own, but I went home for my 20-year high school reunion, and it was really wonderful. It was lovely. It was good to see everyone again. And I was surprised. Um, I was surprised. I think we, we, we put a lot on our high school reunions, perhaps, and the idea of going home again. The, the 20th might be wonderful. I'll tell you the 35th was not. And, I, and I'll tell you why. It's because you you realize how old you've gotten because you see how old everybody else has gotten. But it's we, very difficult. I know, but we still probably look the same to each other, through each other's eyes. We still um, are those people, right? Yeah. That, and yet Laura, part of what Laura Brooks has to reconcile is not um, should I stay or should I go, but she really has to learn to honor the people who stay and, and choose to dig into their communities and invest their futures there, that it's not as simple as should I stay or should I go, but that you can choose to stay or you can choose to leave, um, but that there's, there's, there's fertile ground on both sides. Yeah. Well, uh, Melissa, it's a, it's a great read. I really enjoyed the book, and you're a wonderful writer. Is there anything else uh, very quickly uh, on tap from you? Uh, so this weekend I'll be at the Unbound Book Festival in Columbia, Missouri, which I'm very excited about. Last night I was at uh, Main Street Books in St. Charles, which actually has, I think, the only paperback copies that are signed in town. And, of course, uh, left, I hope to go back to Left Bank Books. They, they hosted the launch last summer, and we, it's so great to be in a place with such great independent bookstores. We, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Don. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.